Well, howdy, gang. Uh, you are listening to Backcountry and Barbells with uh, Jeremy Day and Joe Shamanic. Thanks for tuning in, however you're listening, um, whether you're commuting in to work, um, you're on a leisure hour, or um, you're just trying to distract yourself from sweeping up the kitchen floor. Um, we are fired up to bring you some uh, hopefully actionable content that will help you train, hunt, and live. Jeremy Day, what is going on, my friend? Nothing much, man. Just another day in paradise. Oh yeah, living the dream <laughs> as an American. There you go. Hey, hey, that's pretty good. Um, you know, and to be honest, it's funny you bring that up. I wasn't, even, you know, I love the opens here of the show because you have a plan, and then you, someone says something, and you just go with it. I'm going to go with it. You know, I try to convince the kids at school all the time that this is a great spot. What are you, what are you bitching about? These these sixth grade, seventh grade kids I teach sometimes, man, they walk around so salty and sour sometimes. I'm like, this is America, folks. Enjoy yourself. You get a shot of that Mount Rainier every day. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm glad you recognize that, sir. Always. <laughs> so, And I also try to tell them complaining, guys, is not a strategy. I might have said that before, too, so I apologize if I'm being <laughs> redundant on that. But it's not. Um, so if you're if you're not happy with the patriotism or the Americanism or even just the niceness around you. Why don't you start by uh, doing that yourself a little bit more? Dial that up. So, um, well, cool. And here's the deal about complaining. Okay. 90% <laughs> of the people really don't care. Yeah. And the 10% do, those are the ones you don't even want to talk to anyway. Probably. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So, um, no, I would agree with that. Um, but, you know, here's the deal with teaching, Jeremy. I can't give up on that 10%. I got I to gotta, I gotta come at them hard. And I got it. I can't. I can't turn my back on these kids, Jeremy. You got. Yeah, you got, I agree with you when it comes to the children. <laughs> I guess I'm looking more of the stinking adults. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the, and and you know, unless they're your family, you can pick and choose who you hang out with too, right? So, um, that's a that's another spot. But uh, me and you, me and you are going to be hanging out um, in a couple weeks. We're going to be going on a uh, turkey hunt, and uh, we're pretty. I'm pretty pumped about it. Been shooting the bow, doing a couple things, and. Um, boning up on my turkey knowledge so um i thought it'd be fun just to kind of discuss uh what we're doing in preparation for learning about the bird um dialing in the bow because we are going to be uh coming at these critters um with archery gear and uh that's how we're going to be making the harvest and then uh maybe even discuss some of the um the physical the physical things that we could do to raise our capacities in order to uh improve our chances of success. So, uh, let's start this off, Jeremy. Uh, we were tinkering with this before, but we'll, g- give us a give us an attempt at the scientific name for the old uh, gobbler, the the boss tom, the uh, the hens we're going to be uh, tracking down. Meliagridae. Yeah, it's not how to <laughs> say it. Meliagridae. <laughs> okay, let's let the uh, let's let the uh, the Eastern European descendant here. Uh, Polish guy, give it a go. I'm going to go uh, uh, Melagris Galapavo. Melagris Melagris Garakavabo? Galapavo. That's how Galapavo. I Yeah. So I don't hey, know. Yours sounded good, man. Mine yeah. sounded like a tongue twister. Yeah, give that a go, guys. That's a fun little game. Um, but a.k.a. Um, you know, they make great noises. They're a fun bird to hunt. And uh, the turkeys are neat because, I don't know, we were out at, uh, we were out looking at uh, uh, reindeer out by Mount Rainier. There's a reindeer farm where these guys are, are doing their best to try to keep these animals uh, from going extinct. And they have a couple of them. And, you know, reindeer are a caribou species, but they're just a little smaller, have some differences. But on this reindeer farm, they had this strutting turkey walking around. And my kids were amazed by it because it's ugly as sin. And then uh, the head kept changing color. And they were just there. It's white. It's blue. It's red. And um, they're and they make the wildest noise. Uh, they puff up. They do wild things. They're just they're they're just a crazy bird. Um, uh, Jeremy, uh, crazy bird. Uh, how how would you just well if you had to give a a, a not so scientific moniker to it? to a gobbler uh what would it be funnest bird to hunt in america 
<laughs> funnest bird to hunt in America. And, you know, it is kind of regarded as like the big game hunting of small game, if that makes any sense. Uh, pretty big, you know, 25, 30 pound males. Um, yep. uh, they puff up, they communicate. I think the funnest part about uh, being around turkeys is just they interact with you. Even um, when we were living in West Point, New York, they have a bunch of turkeys on that campus. And we lived in a back corner of that campus and down we were we were butted up right against this mountainside and we used to hear all kinds of stuff down there and it would be really fun in um you know while they're rutting around in the spring to to hear those things interacting uh that's a wild noise those things make oh man it gets my heart beating and i get so pumped up when i hear that gobble out there but um Yep. So there's a couple different kinds. Uh, you got to, I guess, uh, we have, we have a variety out here in Western Washington and Florida. They have some, and then you have an Eastern Turkey, but, uh, uh it'll be pretty cool. Uh, and I'm excited to get after them just because to me, I even look at Turkey season as like the warm up for elk camp. It just gets you, it gets you focused on something early on in the hunting season, uh, right before you get into fall, just to get your, just to get your boots wet, um, to give you a reason to shoot your bow. And then also just to kind of sneak off into the woods and, um, get into that, uh, that harvesting frame of mind. How long have you been tur- turkey hunting, Jeremy? Uh, since 1998. So what's that? 21 years now. Cool. And was it always a big deal out West? I mean, uh, no. Okay. When I first started, it was this particular area where they introduced birds three or four years prior to us going over outside of Mount Hood in Oregon. Um, my brother-in-law and I were typically in this particular region were two of four or five guys for the first three or four years. And then people started writing articles and then it was kind of interesting every Every time an article come would come out, we would see turkey hunters for that year, and then we wouldn't see turkey hunters for a couple of years, and a new article would come out, and um, it was kind of in these weird waves because okay. a lot of people think you're just going to go out here a gobbler and shoot them, and then the game is over because that's kind of how all these articles and TV shows and all that you know mm. portray it. But it's it's nothing near. I mean, it's just like elk hunting and calling in a big bull, and these guys are a little better eyesight. And, um, yeah, yeah, man, they are, they are fun birds, man. Well, and, and I think what's cool to recognize is where we sit now. I mean, you could, you have a turkey season, I believe in, in all lower 49 states. And that always wasn't the case. Heck, the the fact is they're, they're, they're an invasive species in some places. I mean, uh, turkeys natural, I think they naturally were in uh, 39 states. Um, if you if you roll back to when old um, uh, Columbus rolled on through here, and then you know market hunting and things really knocked them down to about half that. And then now, um, through conservation efforts of different foundations, uh, th- the turkeys are doing really well. I mean, uh, Stephen L. of Meat Eater says right now we are living in the good old ages of a uh, turkey hunting i mean you can you can do it anywhere you can do it um but that doesn't say that um it's not a difficult process and by the way i referenced meat eater and steve ranella um i will be pulling some stuff uh later on in the show from his uh small game um field guide so check that out um it's a cool resource for any uh newbie to hunter like myself or you're into your second bow season like myself, uh, check it out. Uh, there's some cool facts just on the bird and what to do. And um, I thought it would be fun, Jeremy, to kind of uh, go through that guide and maybe just give your take on on some of the broad tips that he goes and then what we might do specifically uh, for bow hunting. You think, think you're up for that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's cool. always fun. And, you know, the thing about turkeys and regions and all that, they all act different all over the U.S. And we have three different types in Washington State. We have the Merriam, the Rio, and then we also have um, these ones that they call Western Turkey, which are, they're trying to eradicate them for some reason um, over in the wet uh, climate areas. Oh, wow. I mean, so is is there a thought? Um, so all three are out here in Washington. Um, yep. And... So do you have any idea why they're trying to get rid of the, the, um, the I guess turkey? because there's not enough 
area for them to do their thing on farmers fields and the one thing about turkeys is that once they start going in a particular area farming grounds or whatever they can be a giant nuisance because they scratch they i mean they just turn up the, the all the crops and oh wow it, yeah and then they go, jump on everything that you own and crap them pee on everything and people just get so fed up with them so Historically, and I haven't looked at the regulations lately, but you could get all three of those turkeys in one season in Washington. So you could get three turkeys. Oh, very They cool. called it the Grand Slam, I think, or something here. Yeah, it's funny. Hunters, people in general like to do that. You know, hey, there's an animal and there's a different kind. Let's get all of them. You know what I mean? So let's collect the set. Um, that, collect the set. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great for us to do as we're coming out here. Um, but no, I didn't I didn't know all three um, varieties right here. Now, did you... Is it, has your turkey hunting been exclusively in Washington, or have you been anywhere else in the country? To, yeah, to I started in Oregon for 11, 12, maybe they hunted Oregon for 12 or 13 years, and then here for the last eight or nine. Okay. Um, it's it's funny. I mean, it to me, I, I almost would, I didn't even, it, turkey hunting's a big Eastern thing, right? And um, I almost was surprised that, the bird was so um, abundant across the country for some reason. I just didn't see, you know, I'm so fixated on like big game hunting out here. I almost forget that turkey season's there. So, um, but, you know, tinkering with it last year with you and, and doing a turkey hunt with my buddy in Vermont before I moved out to Washington, uh, it's a blast, man. And I'll tell you, um, nothing, well, not, not nothing, that elk call will do it. And there's there's a couple other things to get my blood going. Um, but that, that, that gobbler when you when that first gobble you hear um it's a it's a magical sound and um um it it'd be fired up and it kind of brings us up to maybe the the first tip in this little you know newbie you know guys uh trying to get into turkey hunting where uh it's to not get overly excited so when, when you are kind of calling through it jeremy is there a, is there a particular calling strategy um that that you think works or is there too what I have found, too little, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I think yeah. There, there's times that where you have to be aggressive, but you've got to play into that. But I think most of the time you got to be very, you know, kind of like the cat and mouse game. You, you yelp a few times. You don't get a response. You wait a little bit. Maybe yelp and then purr and then do you know and then you kind of switch it up a little bit and then you don't hear anything. Then I move. I think if you notice, then I'll move 100 yards, and then we'll do it again, and then I'll move 100 yards, and then we'll do it again until you get that one gobbler to finally pop off. Um, that's the best strategy I have found. And then sometimes you just get in the area, and you're just like, your gut feeling says, oh, man, I, there has to be a tom in here somewhere. And well, so you just plop down, and then you just do a setup, and then just you know spend a half an hour. I mean, it, it, it pretty much mimics exactly how we elk hunt as well. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So, I mean, there's a couple there's a couple things that are probably uh, transferable or uh, consistent among among all forms of hunting. I mean, you have to you have to locate the animal, um, you have to get close to the animal, and then you gotta you gotta poke the animal, right? So, um, with with turkey, um, even maybe even before you hunt, maybe I jump the gun and, and starting to talk about calling, but. You know, if we talk about habitat or locating them, I mean, we've come across roost trees before, and and they are a mess. Uh, what is what does turkey sign, uh, good turkey sign, look like? Uh, you know, they are the time of the year we're hunting. It's really tough the springtime because all the snow's melting because they're usually in a drier climate with snow, and they follow the snow line up because they're eating the worms and stuff that are underneath the snow. Mm-hmm. So. The scratch areas, and it's such a vast land that we hunt versus on the east coast, they're kind of, you know, usually in smaller areas. But over here, they'll migrate. So you're really looking for walking the road systems and looking for turkey poop, you know, that's laying on the ground. Or you'd find those roosting trees because typically what they'll do is they'll do over in this region, they'll do kind of like loops just like the Roosevelt elk there, they kind of do a two week loop. These guys kind of, they'll go around and then they'll look up and go, crap, I got to go find a roosting tree. But they always use the same roosting trees, all mm. the different flocks. 
So the the first thing I would do is we always just go out and try to find the roosting trees. And then at night we get out there and do a locate just before the sun goes down. We'll take a box call and just, you, you know, just pop off a call. Just, <laughs> and then usually you'll get the gobbles and then you just mark that mentally. And then you got to sneak in there. Hmm. You know, our, our Todd, you know, we get out about four thirty in the morning and you sneak under there and then you hang out near the roosting trees and then you freeze your butt off because the sun hasn't come up for about a half hour, 45 minutes. But in, in, that's what we do and have, I have done historically. So I'll get out pretty aggressively. Um, it takes a couple years to – here, excuse me. It takes a couple years to um, really pin it down where the roosting trees are, what they're mi- how they're migrating – because a lot of the stuff there over here is in where we hunt over in the Klickitat area. There's a lot of um, cuttings, you know, clear cuts. So you just kind of got to get out there and really hit the ground. And we put in quite a few miles. I mean, it, what did we put like six or eight miles just hunting turkeys? Oh yeah, no, we were we were getting it, and and that's interesting. Even hunting those spots, like you said, where where um. You know where they are working that land uh, from a logging perspective. You know, one one area gets cleared out, another one gets, you know, another one's getting planted, and and, the, and they're in another. How even just relatively hunting that type of a spot, even if you hunt that spot consistently, I'd imagine that there is the challenge of that terrain's going to change, even though it's not changing. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest challenge of hunting in a clear cut is that that's usually their strutting ground. So they'll go out in the middle of that sucker because then they can see all the predators and whatever coming in and then trying to find a place to kind of ground blind yourself and um, bring them in. Usually we're, you know, hiding behind rhododendron Mm. bushes and, you know, tree stumps. You're looking for big tree stumps or or whatever you can get to, to do that background. A lot of times what I've noticed with a lot of these birds, they when they're they kind of do their strutting grounds is on an old skid road that has a clear cut on one side and it has the big timber on the other side of the road. So those are usually um, good areas to go. To. And the skid roads in between all the timberland and the big forest, they always use those main roads as their um, travel corridors as well too. So that's why we hunt on off of a lot of those old skid roads. Yeah, well, I mean, animals aren't so different than people. I mean, given given the choice, we're all going to probably pursue, you know, the the path of least resistance, right? And, and and animals are no different. I remember last year, you know, we we were having some hard luck, and then all of a sudden, it jazzed us up. We had what five or six hens just bust over a road, and 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 those things are they're they're quick, they're fast, and um, they can they can get get away pretty easy, and and you know because they're because predation on them is so high from humans and, you know, coyotes, wolves, bear, whoever's going to get them, um, and, and even just coming after their nest, you know, you have to give them credit for for their just will to continue to survive. Um, but, you know, one of the things that does help them survive is they do have a, a superpower, and, and you alluded to it a moment ago. You know, they'll get out into the middle of those fields and do their thing because they have that that uncanny ability to to see they see well and they can pick up movement pretty quick which makes it you know even if you set up well and, and you do get lucky enough to um have a shot on one um or if you've planned your hunt and done all things right well enough to get a shot on one uh um you move and then they're gone right so so oh, yeah their sight is their uh their sight is their superpower you got any stories about being busted by a turkey Oh yeah, man! I have lots of stories <laughs> of being busted by turkeys. It's it's so frustrating. One time, um, my friend and I, Brian, we were hunting in over in Oregon outside of Hood River, and we were heading out, and uh, we're calling nothing, doing the hundred yard thing, and all of a sudden we we just we call, and there are five toms, and I mean they're like sixty yards away, and we were like. Oh shit. So we had to plan our butts and Brian sets up, he, he goes up against a stump kind of on the skid road. And then I go off to the side and, um, these toms are coming in and there, there's a couple of really big ones. And the biggest one was coming up from the tail from the back end. And 
but they were strutting. Um, they're, they're fanning out. I mean, they're doing the whole deal. Heads are turning red, white, and blue, and they're all coming in. You know, and they just fired all up. And, <clears throat> and I think Brian and our, I, either one of us, all we had to do was blink. And, I mean, they were just – we barely moved. And they were – I mean, they were gone. Never to be seen again. <laughs> and they'll, but, they'll be out quick, right? Oh, real quick. I mean, they. I think they can run like 35 miles an hour or something crazy like that. I mean, it, it's they get going. Yeah, and they can they can take to flight too. And that's even even my kiddos were amazed by that. We you know we're getting ready for this. We're watching YouTube videos of them doing some things in trees. And um, you know, even even if you do get a shot on them, you know, there's there's lots of stories and uh, folks they'll get that shot. And then they'll hit it, but then you'll see the hunter go run over there, and they'll they'll try to finish the job off quick. Um, you know, uh, I got a great story for that. Oh, go for it! Yeah, because I mean, it's yeah. not over. I mean, one thing I I don't think, you know, Ben Franklin did want to name. You know, there was there was debate over what our national bird would be, and I'm pretty sure, and I, I need to probably check this, um, and maybe I will, but I'm pretty positive Ben Franklin was like adamant about. You know, eagles are big, dumb, and stupid, um, and we need our country's bird to be the turkey. I mean, that, that that's something he he was pushing for. I'll look that up as you tell your story about uh, coming up on 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 your your maimed your maimed critter. Yeah. So my cousin Benny, we were we were um, in the mornings over there. There's a big canyon, and so we always kind of circle the canyon. And there was three or five of us. We all had our spots, and Benny was in his spot, and the the gobbler flew out of the tree and hit the ground, and he was about, I don't know, 15 feet, 15 yards away from Benny when it landed. And it threw Benny at surprise, so Benny threw a shot out there, and the turkey rolled over. Mm. And my father-in-law was sitting, I don't know, he was 60, 80 feet to, to the left of him. And so anyway, Benny runs out there, and he grabs this turkey by the neck and he tries to chicken swing it and so he chicken swings it it goes up and the talons grab him on the leg Ooh. and then and then benny's sitting there playing tug of war with this turkey trying to get it off of there because it's still alive he didn't fully kill it and so he's like oh crap and then he finally gets it off his leg and he chicken swings it again and then it grabs onto his legs again and then anyway he was sitting there trying to chicken swing a 25 pound turkey and uh, my father-in-law was just dying watching it he it was been one of those things that you know definitely youtube type material but that was i don't know no years ago 15 years ago and I, but but in that story you bring up another really cool thing about him you know an old tom is a deadly critter right they got they got oh, talons spurs and they're not they're not happy birds. I don't know if you if if you cruise YouTube or if you've been enough out on a hunt to see what these things will do to a decoy or what they do to each other. Or I've seen video of um, the the other toms around will attack the one that was just shot. I mean, they're just like they're aggressive. Yeah, just like all these male critters uh, when they're in the middle of their rutting season, uh, they're mean and nasty and uh, to the death, <laughs> to the death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad we've sorted out a different way to do our business. Yeah, um, no kidding. But uh, you know, it's just I mean, nature's a wild place, man, and and all these birds have really superpowers and I, I think I think of all the I think of all the animals that we'll pursue in the woods and and ones that you kind of have uh you might you might develop uh, an affection uh, excuse me, affection for Turkeys are a great one because they they have so much personality, right? I mean, you, you, like you said, you got these cute purring hens, and then you got these puffed up toms that you know are, are killing each other to get at those hens, and this idea of them surviving through all these different things. I mean, they're just a they're just a really cool bird, and I think it's just a great way to um, start off the hunting season. Um, this well, and it's the showmanship. I mean, it, it's a big game to him. He, right. he, I mean, this turkey has to come in and prove that he is the patron. I mean, he's. They come in real slow, and then all of a sudden they just puff up. Poof. Yep. And then they, then they calm down. And this is they don't even know where the hen is. He's just putting on the show as they're coming in, and then they're, you know, scraping their wings along the ground and puffed up, and their heads turning red, white, and blue, and then they gobble and. And I mean, and that can go on for, shoot, I've sat there for 45 minutes waiting for him to 
get within distance. And, and some people, you know, you could wait hours. But the terrain that we're in, you can hear them coming for hours. But, you know, once you get to finally see them just because it's real thick. Well, and, and that's actually another tip that's in the book here, um, just rolling through. Again, uh, some of the stuff that I'll pull from and um, is, uh, you know, I, I'll go through lots of material. But uh, uh, one a really good resource is this, um, the small game guide. But, uh, you know, Steve does discuss in his book that, you know, if you can't hear them right away, it's pretty smart thing to do to get into a spot where you can see, where you can still be concealed, but also to perch up in an area where you can kind of hear stuff. Because in a general sense, you we're probably going to hear them first before um, before we, we see them. But even in that respect, you can get onto a nice little glass and knob. But, you know, in the beginning, if you're not doing your due diligence in terms of, you know, scouting and coming up on sign, you, you're, you are going to have to blind call and, and, and hope... And hope for for a little bit of luck. Do you do you have any idea how vast or how big their range will be for a particular flock? You know, I really don't. I I do know um, we've hunted them over kind of at the base of the Rockies, and then over here in Oregon and Washington. And the ones in Oregon and Washington, I think, will go. Seems like they've gone from. So we're at. 2,000 feet, and then we've seen them up as high as 6,000 feet over probably six miles, eight miles. Okay. So they'll, you know, the ones over here, they kind of go down, and they're on this below the snow line, and as the snow's melting, they're following that up, like I said, following that. And then they kind of go into the rut season, and then, um, but yeah, I've heard of the Rocky Mountain ones could, you know, cover 20 miles or so. Okay, so, so so again, you need to have a you, you you do need to have a little capacity. And real quick, by the way, uh, I did do a quick um, search, and I had to find a reputable source, which the Smithsonian, I imagine, is a reputable source. Um, so I, on their website, they said the they said that Ben Franklin, and this is a I guess a it's a myth. It's not true. He didn't want the turkey, um, but um, he did think that the bald eagle was not a good choice. He in fact, said that um, the bald eagle um, is a bird of bad moral character. Um, so, so how about that? Um, a so, wild, what's that? Bad moral character, huh? Yeah, the, yeah, yep. And he said he's too lazy to fish for himself. Uh, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk, and when the diligent bird has at length taken a fish and is bearing it uh, to his nest uh, for the support of his mate and young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. <laughs> okay. So, so this is a letter uh, uh, that uh, Ben Franklin wrote to his daughter. Um, and he was kind of upset that they that we had chosen the uh, the bald eagle. So there you go. Ben Franklin uh, finds his way to finds a way to sneak into our turkey talk. But um, that's interesting stuff. But uh, uh, it's rather, uh, it is interesting it's, it's, that it's a myth. I, well, I always believed it. Yeah, and well, and I'm a, I'm more surprised that uh, he had such disdain uh, for the bald eagle, but um, there and I see a lot of them around here, and I think I think after reading this letter, um, I'll look at them different, and just maybe maybe in hunting camp uh, or casual conversation, I'm gonna take Ben's stance on the bald eagle just to just to um, puff up puff up my compatriots so we'll, we'll see how that goes but uh uh ba- back to turkey ta- talking i, I want to go to a behavior that i think is particularly interesting and one that i haven't seen bald eagles do either um the the strutting and spitting stuff that they do um that it's not just the gobbles that these toms make but uh again when we were out on the reindeer farm it's the the kind of spitting and the cussing, and I don't even want to try and make the noise. Where it kind of sounds like they're spitting into a, a, a tin bucket. You, yeah, it's really wild. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's hard to mock. Yeah. Right? Great. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, wild noises. I mean, again, it's a bird of such character. Um, and and it is is that a is that a threat? It's making other toms. Is is that part of a strut? I mean, how much? I mean, I know you're not a biologist, Jeremy, but um, in 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 you're hunting them so long. I mean, have you noticed at particular times where they make particular noises and why they're doing it? Yeah, and I usually notice that one when they're coming in. Um, when it's a single hen coming in, is what I've noticed on that one. Is that they'll make that 
that particular noise, yeah, but like the whistle. Yeah, well, cat it's, calling. It's not a, what's that? <laughs> is he cat calling with that one? He's cat calling. <laughs> but you know, full disclosure to everybody: everybody has good senses. My weakest sense is I can't hear oh, very okay. good. So okay, um, sometimes those noises I don't hear them until they're right next to me. So hmm. until the heat of it, but. I think it's kind of a calming or, hey, where are you, come in type thing is what I've noticed in our region, but that's just what I've noticed. Cool. Well, sweet. It's more than new to sir. Um, but, uh, it, again, a wild bird. Um, in, in the pursuit of them, we have to make some choices, too. Like, um, when you, you alluded to it earlier about setting up, and, and setting up on these birds is a little different than – than setting up on other animals um, because of their eyesight. I mean, it's so cool. But then also their sense of smell is not great. So there's other things you don't have to take into account that you you do have to take into account when you are pursuing elk. I, I'll ask you this. Do you think it's easier to evade a critter's eyesight or easier to have to manage your sense of smell? Because, you know, like with elk hunting, the wind can take you anywhere, and then all of a sudden you got to make some different decisions. Which one? I would much rather hunt an animal using the wind than that eyesight because that eyesight is just, you know, bears, they're fun to spot and stalk because their eyesight isn't that great. So you, you could get away with a heck of a lot more, and you're able to close that distance and then um, be able, you know, not be so concealed with turkeys. I'm telling you, man, you you're calling them in, and you move your finger, and they're they're like right on you. You're like, how in the heck? So you got to be, you know, I'd much rather hunt the wind because that eyesight will pick. And it's same thing with antelope. Those damn things could see you three thousand miles away, and it 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 is unbelievable. You just pop your head up, and all the antelope look at you, and you're like, man, you guys are like a half a mile away. So what what's the ideal setup? Because I'm I'm playing this through my head and I can think about, you know, we like to move when we hunt and we're going to cover ground. So we're not going to have, we're not hunting from blinds. You know, we're not sitting up on a cornfield. We're, we're doing the public land thing. We're, we're covering ground. We're going there. So, so guys who are going to pursue um, turkeys like that and not kind of pack a blind with them and, and you're going to kind of have to sort out a setup. I mean, you're kind of caught because you don't want to set up in such a thick spot where you can't access your bow and have a shooting lane, but you also need to make sure you're set up good enough where you're you're comfortable and concealed and can get a decent shot off. So if you were to if you were to describe it, what would be the ideal setup in terms of what would conceal you but still enable you to locate the turkey when it comes in and then also uh, get a shot off? My my favorite setup, if you can get away with it, um, is to have a tree behind you and maybe some rock croppings around in front of you to where you can get away with your, you know, leg movements and that, you know, fidgety type movement areas can be concealed. So um, sometimes what we've done in the past is we've gone in there and built little uh, makeshift blinds where we put logs and timbers around um, in front of our where we think the turkeys are going to come out of their roost or have historically. So, um, really I, you just got to pull up a tree a, a nice big tree or something that has a backdrop behind you that can help conceal you. And then you got to just camo up. And when those turkeys come in, it's, I mean, you have to do very slow methodical movements. It's not, you can't jolt. You can't, you can't do any fast, quick movements. So, well, I, I, and I was going to say, I know, I know that you're not a big fan of um, using uh, a bunch of decoys and stuff, but I know that like one thought with using them is the fact that if you do have a decoy, it can kind of help you zero in range pretty quick. Um, it might keep the gobbler's attention on something more than just your eyesight. Um, but that thought there. In contrary, why is not using a decoy, in your opinion, uh, what are some benefits of that and, and why you make that choice? I make that choice because with a decoy, the bird can fixate on that decoy mm -hmm. 
And then he's going to do like an elk would do with the wind. He's going to circle up and he's going to try to get wind of you. So the turkey's going to come in and he's going to circle around that hen just right out of that distance, you know, 50, 60 yards. And he's going to do that circle to make sure. And he wants to see that hen doing some movement and doing all that other stuff. Because if it's happened to me a hundred times where I've had a decoy out there and that gobbler just hangs up and he, and my suspicion is that he doesn't see any movement and then he leaves. Yeah. So I'd rather have a Tom come in looking for the hen and not being able and can't see her, you know, searching around like it. Exactly. Cause yeah. we're not open. We're not hunting in big open areas like they do on the, in the East coast. They kind of go out in the grasslands and, and there's a lot of timbered stuff over or, there too. Yeah, but, they're in a cornfield, right? Where they're kind of stacked up in a blind in the cornfield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whenever you see a, um, a decoy set up on on the TV shows, you'll notice they're out there and the decoys are always out in a field, open field. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when we were we first started hunting turkeys, my brother-in-law and I, uh, Tony, Tony and I would go out there and we'd set up in these beautiful oak fields and we'd be all excited. And we, I'd, I want to say, I don't think I've ever, ever had a Tom come into one of those fields. Yeah. They stay out of, they're always on the timber line where we're at. Sure. So cool. that's why I, I, I don't use the decoy because I want that Tom to come in there searching and he's more like more than likely to come in closer and get within to my effective range of a of a kill shot. Yeah, I think I and it makes sense. I mean to me like when they have eyesight like that, unless you're gonna have some sort of a unless you have a really good decoy, right? And and I guess one option that they say here is if you do buy a cheapie um, when you do make the harvest the year before, steal them feathers and then kind of pop those on there, right? Um, yeah. Something, something that might give it some real movement. So if you are, maybe the recommendation is if you are going to use a decoy, make it a, a damn good one, right? Because, again, if their eyesight's so good where they can pick up a blink, you know, 40 yards away, I'm pretty sure they're, they they would have enough ability to recognize um, a fake bird, especially if it's like, uh, you know, a piece of red plastic, um, with a piece of rubber, with a piece of like a, a piece of rubber just draped over it. So, um, if you are going to go decoy, uh, make it a good one. Yeah, and I don't think I think it's illegal to use mechanical decoys in Washington. As a matter of fact, I know you can't. So you can't have a decoy out there doing all this movement. Oh, sweet. Well, there it is. How about that? We talk a lot about wanting to be in compliance. So maybe <laughs> know the rules too, right? So that's why I hunt with Jeremy as I learn this up. Joe, I know you're fired up about that big decoy you just bought and doctored up with your buddy's feathers, but guess what? You can't use it, sir. But um, <laughs> So we'll keep that in mind. So, But no, it, again, super fun. There's different ways to do it. Uh, how about like um, your your sight line in terms of that um, in terms of that setup? I mean, is I mean, in a perfect world, you could have 360 degrees of of sight, but obviously we've taken at least half of that out, right? We're maybe 120 degrees because you know we're going to be posting up um, on that tree. Uh, is is there any in terms of the setup? Like you said, I mean, if you know anything about their travel patterns, maybe setting up a little bit on a where part of that view is on that skid road where they might be traveling. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would set up on a skid road because they're going to come up. They want to come in quick and fast. So if you set up on the skid road, you always go off the skid road maybe five ten yards. So um, you make your calls on the skid road, and then you come off five or ten yards, your loud calls, and then you kind of just start getting a little softer. And then they'll run down that skid road, and as they get closer, then it's kind of I usually with once they get in within sixty to eighty yards, I just quit talking. I might, and what I'll do is I'll play a little game with them. I might let them gobble twice, and then I'll respond right away, right off of his gobble, and then you know, then he'll close distance, and then sometimes, um, I'll just I'll be the first one to call, and then he'll gobble. So I'm we're sitting there playing a game of hey, I'm over here, hey, I'm coming type thing, right? Marco Polo. Well, basically, it's, it's a weird situation because, and and it's it's tough for the hunter for a lot of reasons because these birds. You know, toms do get hemmed up. I mean, I'll tell you right now, you know, if if I were hemmed up, if I were hemmed up Tom in my house right now, and let's pretend, let's pretend here, let's pretend, <laughs> let's pretend there were, you know, three to five of my old lady, you know, in the house, and I'm hemmed up and running around, it's going to be hard, you know, for anyone 
to get me to come next door to do anything, right? I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with my ladies and do my thing. Um, but as a hunter, sometimes you're 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 caught in that space where you're okay. You know where toms are, and you know they're with hens, and that's a blessing and a curse um, because for one, you saw them and found them, but man, it's hard to coax them guys away from what they're already doing. Is there a is there any particular strategies you'd recommend or have you ever been in that setting where you're just trying to lure them away um, from from what, what's got their attention? Yeah, absolutely. That happens an awful lot, especially during the time of the year that we hunt. Yeah. Um, you have to bust the flock. Okay. You just get up and take off running after them and then just get them to break up. And okay. then usually the tom will fly one direction and the hens will all go another direction. That's what my my experience is. The tom will always fly. Now he's vulnerable. Now he's got to find his hens again. So um, that that is the best strategy. The other one is just, just sit being patient and try to call in the whole flock. The only problem with that is if the hen doesn't like you or doesn't – she's like – feels that you're a threat, she's going to turn that whole flock. I mean, it's just like a lead cow elk. She's going to turn that flock, and she's not going to let them come in. And then you'll start hearing them go further and further away, and that's when you just kind of do a spot and stock and get as close as you can. And then once you get close, you just run after them and then break that flock up. Yeah, the, 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 the recommendation in here is that similar to what you were saying in terms of, you know, maybe even the thought might be, um, if you can watch it long enough and see which which hen is the lead hen and try to figure out a way to imitate what she's doing. And yeah. then if you can get her to kind of sort some things out, the Tom will follow her. And this would be after after he's done his business, um, which kind of makes puts, me, puts you in a weird spot, right? You're watching this Tom and his hens do their thing. Um, but still, to me... I think that's what's really fun about getting into these hunting situations. It's 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 getting the access to watch these critters um, in their natural habitat and do their thing because they all have personalities, they all have wild things, and um, man, the, and all these little things we've talked about just are reasons why the turkey hunt is so fun. You got to set oh, up, yeah. you got to find them, you got to talk with them, you got to make decisions, and. Um, in some aspects, it's a lot like, you know, big water fishing where it's a little bit of nothing for a long time. But, man, when, when you get into them, it, it, it gets hot for a moment. And it's a it's a, Yeah, one of my favorite fun. things is sitting near the roosting trees in the morning. And as they're waking up and moving around and all the noises they're making, I mean, they're cutting, they're, I mean, they're, they're yelping, they're doing all sorts of things. They're gobbling and you just, you know, you'll hear, yelp, 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 come on, come on, come on, yelp. I mean, and it'll it'll go on for 20, 30 minutes before they fly out of the tree. And just sitting there in a cold-ass morning, frost on your feet, you're half shivering, and you're sitting there listening to it, and then you forget all about that. And you're just like, you know, the sun's coming up, and the sky's in its colors, and uh, it is it is awesome. Well, you bring up the sun coming up and timing and being set up early. Is there a, is there a time that and it's, this could be debatable. Is there a time where you've been most successful? I mean, um, when is, when is prime time to actually be in the woods? Cause I think even, even when we were out turkey hunting in Maryland and in Vermont, you could only do it at certain, at Maryland in particular, you, you could only hunt turkeys till noon, right? Um, then you had to shut it down to give them a break. But, uh, uh I don't think it's that way here in Washington. No, you can hunt all day long. Yeah, the best, um, the best time to hunt for me has always been first thing in the morning, the first 30 minutes to an hour. And then after that, it's in between 9 and 2 o'clock. Um, well, say about 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock is the best time Sweet. for calling them in and pulling them. When they fly out of the roost, the toms are a little fired up. And if you do it right, which I just always, in the morning when they start doing all their things, I let them go on and on and then just before shooting light, I'll give out a couple yelps, and then if the tom fires up, I know he's going to come in. If he doesn't fire off, then there's a slight chance that he's not going to come in, so I'll wait a little bit, and then just every five, ten minutes, just throw out a couple yelps. Locating him for, for later. Well, yeah, and then letting him know to come in, you know, that where I'm at, because he's like, oh, she's hot to trot. And sometimes, it, it, 
that is especially effective when all you hear is a gobble and not the hens because then he wants to come in. It means he's a lone gobbler or um, sometimes I've had it where there's three to five gobblers in a roosting tree and they all just flew down and came in. Mm. Sweet. But, well, I hope we come then, into but that. But after that, it is dead for two or three hours until that 10 o'clock mark comes in because what's happening is all they're all flocked up and then the hens that have the nest they're taking off and going to go to their eggs and they're going to nest all day long. And then the tom, so the hens are leaving the toms and then these toms are going around looking for new hens. So that in between two and 10, 10 and two, they're out looking for hens. So I've got quite a few birds in that, you know, around that time. It got a lot of action in that time. Very cool. So watch your watch, get it going. And you bring up a couple of things that I think would be like, maybe from, from a training standpoint that I think, that that if you are going to get into her turkey hunting because the action is so dip and diving in and out of it um and this is probably something that I would recommend for all hunters um you know I think an aspect of training or getting ready for a hunt that people um generally miss is this idea of sorting out a way to keep calm right and and one way is to just gain experience right you're if you've seen it if you've seen it 20 times over 20 years you you're probably not going to be as surprised about it but you're still going to get excited. I don't know about that, brother. <laughs> there you go. No, uh, but you're right. But sometimes you, you you never get over it. Um, but that said, I think there's some neat things that you can do breathing wise um, to gain some control for yourself. And you know, with with some diaphragmatic breathing or some box breathing techniques, you can in a couple short breaths you can rain you can gain control of your composure enough to maybe at least make a a sound decision not not a rash one so um what what i like to recommend folks do is um you know as you're kind of working out your training or you can even practice this one in the car as someone cuts you off but i think a, a simple <laughs> a, yeah, a simple way to to implement some of this box breathing technique is if you just take a three count and uh i've been doing this so um, what I've been doing lately in my training is, yeah, like today I'm doing like a recovery workout where I ran for 30 minutes, but every five minutes I got off the treadmill and I, I busted a set of three arrows. Um, but before I hit the arrows, I took three breaths and, um, the breaths were as simple as a, a three in, uh, hold for three, three out, and then hold for three. And then I'll do three cycles of that. And I think if you guys try that, you'll be amazed at how, how much you can lower your heart rate and then how you can remember to go through whatever your draw cycle is or whatever your, your shot process is. But, you know, Joe, let me ask you this. When you're doing that three in three out, are you doing three in through the nose, exhale out of the mouth, inhale through the mouth, exhale out of the nose or I I generally always try to inhale. If I'm going through thoughtful breaths, my first thing is to to kind of go through the nose first. Then the nose is, I do. The nose, the nose is built for breathing. Um, there's, there's obvious filters um, within your nose, and then even kind of going through there, you can wake up some. Uh, you, you know, you start, you can dilate some blood vessels through nose breathing. Um, it warms the air. It does certain things. It turns the brain on. It, it gets the nervous system dialed into the right place just to elicit calm. Right. So. Well, and I think too, when you inhale through the nose, you can kind of control the speed of yes. how that air is coming in. Yep. And yeah, so another another technique that folks will implement is to each cycle make it a little bit longer. So maybe it's one, then the second cycle is two seconds, and then three. And, um, you know, there's 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 lots of different things you can do and 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 I keep it I keep it simple with that box breathing technique and it's in through the nose and then I will kind of go out through the mouth really slow. And and even that's mm-hmm. become part of my shot process where um, to get into even this diaphragmatic breathing, um, you know, if you clinch the glutes before you take that breath in, that air will kind of come in, come into the, it'll come into the trunk and the whole belly. It won't just fill your lungs, right? So, you know, even as you're going into set up for a shot, um, you you know, archery posture matters, right? A, a hitch in Absolutely. the hips or, or, or screwing with your trunk or putting your ribs or shoulders in a funny place is going to mess with your anchor points and, and screw your shot up. So even having, even having that as part of your process, if you know, clinch the glutes, take your breath, that's going to stabilize everything. And, um, 
in turkey hunting, that's going to be particularly important too, because like you said, you're you're not going to be set up in your in your perfect shot posture. No, you're not going to be in a like you were saying earlier. You're not going to be in a, a ground blind or anything like that. Most of my shots are I'm sitting on my rear, yeah. and I have to position to where I have that side angle shot right with a bow. Yep. You have to be on your butt, and then you, you you're squared up to. Um, wherever your shot or shooting lane is and your effective shooting lane is a lot more, a lot less than with a shotgun or anything else because, I mean, you, you only have like a, what, 90 degree effective range with a bow. So you got to work out of that core and keep, keep squared up. Yeah. Well, that's it. Athletic stance. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. Like, and here's what's funny. Like, Folks want it all to be right when they go out and do it. But if you're not practicing it, it's probably not going to be right when you go out and do it. So I guarantee it's not because <laughs> when I first started practicing it, I was like, oh, shoot. Really? Yeah. I was, and, and in my head, I was like, dude, this is going to be no problem. But once you sit down and you have a, you know, 32, 34-inch bow or whatever, and, I mean, you have obstructions that you never even thought about when you're sitting down with a bow. You got your legs that are in the way. You got yeah. to send. You got to sit up as high as you can to get just two extra inches of clearance off of the the bottom of that bow. Yeah, and and I've seen some guys who are pulling way too heavy a bow, and in order to get that bow back, they have to do all kinds of weird things with their hips and and get it going, and then their posture is all screwed up. So, you know, for one, get the weight down if that's the issue. Um, but the other thing is, you know, if you're not practicing stuff when when things hit the fan. You can pretty much rely on the on on the lowest common denominator, so you should be practicing. So the other thing that I would say, if you're getting into turkey hunting, if you're not like mobilizing in weird positions, um, you know, I would I would implement into your warm ups like some primal crawling patterns, um, bear crawls. Um, oh yeah, that's good stuff get, there. Different kind of crawls to get you used to that. But then too, you know, if you're just sitting in a desk chair all the time, and what makes you think you're going to be comfortable enough to not only draw your bow and make a shot, but but also just sit in that position for a long time? You know, um, for me, what I've actually been doing is doing a lot of lunging and a lot of just sitting in a lunge position or um, wh- where I really want to be able to set myself up to take this shot is from my knees at least. Uh-huh. Um, so so I've just been spending a lot of time sitting, sitting on my legs in that kind of um, – you know, like if you were going to stretch your quads, I've just been sitting in that position a lot and every chance I can get. Like, so when I'm watching television with the family, rather than sitting on the couch, I've been sitting on my calves just to, just to prep for that. And then practicing kind of, um, posturing up from that position. Cause I think, I think best case scenario for me, um, it would be to be able to take that shot from a lunging position, right? Where if I'm on one knee kind of posted up, um, on a tree in, in a nice kind of, you know, uh, ground blind that I've built out Th- that, that would be 100%, I think the best case scenario, um, which so- is going to happen one in 100 <laughs> times that come in a Turkey, dude. That's right. That's right. But, but, but it's, it's but, the hope, right? So, well, and you have to train for all of those. I mean, there's a hundred other, I mean, there's 99 other ways to blow that. Huh? And I 100% agree with you. You got to, and, and plus you have to be eyesight right they have great eyesight so you have to be slow and methodic yes when you're moving into these positions or if you are sitting down and you need to get into a knee position because the you can see the tom coming in you have to make sure that you could do it in control yeah so that's why even my point is if i could just learn how to be in that position for a long time by just doing it in my like lifestyle then it, maybe I'll at least be able to sustain it and just be already set up like that, you know, rather than, rather than being set up in my setup, um, as comfortable as I can be kind of lounging against a tree. Like my thought is if I could post up on there already in and maintain my shooting position, then, then that's what I'll do because that's, that's the other part for the bow hunter. That's tough when you're hunting Turkey. I mean, not only do you have to get set up for your shot, but you have to execute your, you have to execute your, um, your your shot cycle which you know it's obvious bow hunting versus um using a shotgun there's just going to be a little bit more movement and with more movement that that bird might be able to pick you up 
Yeah, exactly. And what I like about everything that you're saying is that you could do it at home. So there's really no excuses not to practice it. You can, as you, like you said, instead of sitting, being comfortable in your chair at your couch, you can start working on that mental toughness and just get down, crouch down, maybe bust out five push-ups. That's it. Get yourself into the squatting position, hang out there for a 10 second count. That's it. Um, Maybe roll around on your back and roll back into a push-up and then crawl across and give your wife a kiss and then head over to the other side and <laughs> what you give doing, your kids honey? a kiss and a hug. And it should be like, man. Well, what's that going to turn into, right? It might, exactly. You know, not only are you prepping for prepping for turkey, but you know, your evening might have a happy ending. But, well, um, then you got to jump up and then you have to strut. <laughs> and then you have to go, 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 and puff up for her and give her the hero pose. That's it. That you put, hey, man, it doesn't just, it's not just out in the field. <laughs> yeah. You put, if you put your, if you put your mindset in, in, into what that turkey might be doing, maybe, maybe if you can think like a turkey, uh, you can harvest a turkey. Um, that's right. Which, which would be a great time. But, Jeremy, uh, as, as we kind of close the show out and, uh, our, our after action review of, of some of the, some of the tips, uh, that, folks as they kind of close out the episode want to make sure that they've gotten um give the give a we, we talked a good we talked a good bit about um the method or what you might want to do if yeah the three I, would, things I would that say it's important what you the think? three things i think are most important is find the roosting trees get out there and hit the brush you know at, at night if, if if you have a camp of five or six guys you all go in a different area um, you, you get a game plan, you go over here, you go over here, you go over there, you go over there. And then you, um, call just before the sun goes down and see if you can't get one to, um, gobble off. Some people use shot calls too, which is so this the be night before, if you could scout the night scout before the day before. Yeah. Okay. Every night you should go out there and try to find roosting trees. That's your best time to find roosting trees. Otherwise you have to go in the morning, you have to set up and then you have to call and then hope to God that you're near a roosting tree. Otherwise, you're going to have to sneak in, and it's really hard to sneak into a roosting tree when they're flying out. So find they're up the in roosting the air, trees. The yep, find the roosting trees. Um, number two would be, you know, when you're out doing this um, spot and stock or you're hunting them, call every 100 yards. Just do a couple calls, move on to 100 yards, hunt the skid roads, and, um, you know, always make sure you have something behind you when you're setting up as such as a tree a big bush a down log anything to break up your pattern those are my three what are yours joe on the yeah, yeah it, just, it, it seemed like the the from from a training um aspect it's just have have some sort of a have some sort of a mechanism to calm your nerves uh going into the hunt and this is a general one for all hunting and, and for me it's that box breathing technique give it a try i think you'll i think you'll be and and again, practice it, right? I do it between sets before I take my shot. Um, coming off the treadmill through that box breathing technique is just three in, three hold, three out, three hold again and repeat. I think you'll come to find that two to three cycles into that, um, you're good and calm. And those cycles are featured um, in the base camp program in your, uh, in your um, uh, cool down. So check that out. And then the other one is, look, you're going to be in awkward positions, um, turkey hunting, especially to execute your shot. So you should be practicing some of those awkward positions, whether you're sitting on your knees, getting in a lunge, doing crawling patterns, um, start to do some of that weird stuff. You know, if, 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 if you're stuck in a desk chair all day and then think that just because you're out in the woods with a gun or, or a bow and, and there's a tag in your hand that all of a sudden you're going to develop some superpower, it just ain't going to happen. Um, so practice some of those positions. Um, and I think you'll better, I think you'll be better for it. There That's good stuff. We'll get it, guys. So five things to walk away from today, um, despite the fact that we discussed somehow uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, how acting like a turkey might get you lucky um, with the misses. Uh, we got into some of that, but um, uh, great stuff, uh, great show. Um, and we, we thank you guys uh, for listening because, uh, Jeremy, I think I think it's safe to say uh, when we, we, we discuss what we do, we did begin the show, we want to get people training, we want people get hunting and we think if you do those things, you'll be you'll be living a, a better life. So, um, but all we around, need, we need to know if we're hitting that mark, folks. Um, you can you can let us know by just interacting with us uh, through email, um, through the review process, um, 
or any way you can find us. So um, uh, we appreciate you guys, and uh, uh, thanks for thanks for listening to Journey. Uh, final send off for the crowd. Hey, stay out there and have fun, and live to the fullest. There it is. Gobble gobble. Right, like these turkeys did. Right, <laughs> yeah. Implement some of that character. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot, folks, and um, have y'all a good day. Bye bye. Adios. Bye.